0: You're listening to the Fellowship Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Fellowship Baptist Church is located in Clark Lake, Michigan. Today's message is part of our Adult Sunday School series. Adult Sunday School is taught by a variety of different men in our church. Now let's prepare our hearts as our Sunday School teacher brings forth God's truths from His Word today.
1: Dear Father, thank you so much for this day, Lord. Thank you that we can gather in freedom in your house and worship you today, Lord. Thank you for the freedoms that you've given us in this country, Lord. I pray that as we open up your word and we read it, that you would enlighten our eyes, help us to see the truths of it, and not just to hear them, Lord, but to apply them to our lives, to strive to live those out in our everyday walk with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit as I bring these truths to your people. We'll give you all the honor and glory. In your precious name we pray, amen. So, Again today, as we did last week, we're going to be doing a bit of evaluation. Every day should be evaluation for us in our, in our spiritual walk. Every day we should be doing evaluation. So we're going to continue to do that. Today, every time we come to church and hear the preaching of God's word, that's what we're doing. We're hearing the preaching of God's word, what it says, and we're evaluating how it applies to our lives. And if we're there, if we're there at the place that we need to be at. So we're going to do that. We're going to do that again today. Last week, we talked about the importance of growing in our Christian lives. 2 Peter 3.18 says, But grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The knowledge of our Savior is found in his word, and we are to be growing in that knowledge that we find written on those precious pages. Thankfully, God does not just give us a Bible and say, figure it out. There's a lot of things in the Bible that are hard to understand, isn't there? There's a lot of things that are difficult for us to really comprehend. And that is why God has given us a teacher, right? The teacher. We have unprecedented access to the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit and his word. On the pages of God's word is everything he desires us to understand and know from the very foundations of the earth. Are we growing and applying the knowledge that God has given us in his word? Or are we being forgetful here as we talked about that last week? Are we being good stewards of the knowledge that God has made available to us? If we are all honest, we are probably not growing at the rate that we should in all the areas that we should be in our lives. You know, maybe even there's some areas that we're not growing at all. It is a commandment in God's word to be growing in our spiritual lives. Christian lives. And last week, that we learned that if we're going to grow, that needs to be channeled through our love for Christ. That is what is to drive us. You have, I have a responsibility to be spiritually growing in our lives. We will most definitely give an account to God someday whether we grew. At the rate that we should have in the things that we should have grown. We will all stand and give an account to God for that. Why? Because Luke 12:48 says, For unto whomsoever much is given, of him much shall be what? Required. Have we been given much? We've been given so much. Especially here in America, we are privileged with the knowledge that we have right there. We, especially in this church, we have been privileged with a pastor that we have to teach us the good doctrines and truths of God's word. We have been entrusted with much. At this church, in America, we have been entrusted with much. And because of that, much is required of us. We have been given so much, and yet we are doing so little with what we have been given. Some of us are growing... But it's at such a slow rate that if our growth of our Christian lives were graded like our school was when we were growing up, we would have to be held back a few grades, wouldn't we? Because we're not making that progress that we should be. What if our spiritual progress was plastered on a board in the front of the church for everybody to see? Each one of your names was listed individual, okay? And from the starting point, you're down here, okay? So, you're down here at the starting point. This is the moment of salvation. And if we could track your spiritual growth and your spiritual life from the moment of salvation until right now, I mean, some of us have been saved for years and years and years and years, okay? So, if we could see on the board down here the moment of salvation, and we could go up here to, you know, perfection, which I'll definitely never get there until I get to heaven. So, if we could go up here to perfection, I wonder where where you would be on that scale. So if we could track where you are and how long it has taken you to get there, would we be embarrassed about where we actually are in our spiritual lives and where we know we actually should be? I'd be embarrassed. I know I, I know for a fact that I have not grown in my life at the rate that I should year after year after year. I would be embarrassed at how little that I have grown in my own life. We are all guilty of not growing in the ways that we should at the rate that we should be. It is important that when we realize this, that we stop and get focused, as we talked about last week. We get focused back on Christ. We either live for him because we love him, or we don't live for him because we don't love him as much as we should. That's what it comes down to. That's just, that's just, that's what it is. You either love him so you live for him, or if you're not living for him, it's because you are strongly lacking the love that you should have for your Lord and Savior. We love him because he first loved us. John 15, 13, greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Turn to Titus chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 14. Titus, Titus chapter 2, verse 14. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this verse. We're going to be dissecting this a little bit, looking at each area of it Titus chapter 2 verse 14 you there say amen. amen who gave himself for us that was Christ obviously who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. The ways that Christ loves us are endless. Of course, his greatest demonstration of love is when he chose to redeem us with his precious blood from, as that verse says, all iniquity. What is iniquity? It's sin, right? That's what Christ redeemed us from. It's it, it, it's sin, okay. So it says He redeemed us, okay. So redeem. If you look at the definition of redeem in the Webster's 1828 dictionary, the very first definition that is given is to purchase back. To purchase back. This could not be more appropriately stated. In the garden, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of the fruit, humanity, humanity immediately fell under the captivity of the power and penalty of what? Sin, iniquity. We immediately fell captive to the power and penalty of sin. Since that day, the power of sin has taken over the hearts and souls of men, robbing God of that relationship that he had originally intended humanity to have with him. Sin took us from God until that day on Calvary, when Christ shed his blood to purchase us back. Praise the Lord. We should all be saying amen to that. We should all be be shouting for that reason. Jesus Christ redeemed us. He purchased us back with his blood. Our purpose. Christ did not purchase us and then send us into this world with no purpose. Let's go to back, to, back to that verse, uh, verse 14. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. God isn't just in the business of saving us. He's in the work of day after day doing what? Purifying us. Trials. Trials are often looked at as something that God uses to purify us. And that's because they are. God uses trials to purify us. What did Job say about his trial? Job 23.10 says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me, I shall come forth as what? Gold. If we could all be golden for Christ, (laughs) that would be amazing. So in order to get to that point, that's where God wants us. He wants to purify us as gold, the most precious metal on earth. Okay, He wants to purify us as gold, but in order to do that, he has to bring those trials into our life to purify us. So God uses trials to purify us, but they are always mingled with the truths of his word. Those trials are always mingled with the truths of his word. If God just brought trials into our lives and there was no purpose behind the trial, we would probably end up getting really bitter at God. And sometimes we even do because we don't realize the truths behind the trial of what he's bringing into our lives. We don't get into the word and try to understand why this is happening and how it can be used for our benefit. So... Trials are always, to, are always mingled with the truths of God's word. I believe the reason God so often uses trials to purify us instead of just his word is because we're really thick-headed. You know what I'm saying? And trials are usually the only way that God can really get through to us. They're what he has to do to get our attention because we're not willing to take the time and really dig into his word and really, really see what it says and then, and then just take it and apply it to our lives. Be like, that's what God's word said, that's what I'm going to do, end of discussion, done. No, that's not, how we, that's not how we do it a lot of times, okay? You know, a lot of times we're very stubborn, so God has to bring trials into us, into our lives to purify us, to get us to that point. So while God does use trials to purify us, those trials are always substantiated through the, tr- through the truths of his word. Go ahead and turn to Ephesians 5. Don't keep your finger there. Before you turn away from there, keep your finger there because we're coming back to that. But turn to Ephesians five, twenty-five through 27. We're actually in this passage Wednesday night. Ephesians chapter 5, 25 through 27. All right, verse 25. Husband, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So, at the moment of salvation, we drink of that living water that Christ offered to us. That living water of salvation by grace through faith, right? We drank of that living water to the moment of salvation. At that moment, we were perfectly clean. God cleanses of all of our sin, and we were perfectly clean. But as we go on, and as we get into this world, and as our flesh desires to take over, we become spotted by this world again, don't we? We become spotted by the sins of this world. And we need to be continually washed from those sins. That's asking forgiveness. That's getting into God's word. Okay? Here. So at the moment of salvation, we are washed by Jesus Christ, when we accept that living water that he gives us. Although we do, although we need to drink of the everlasting water, again, we although we don't need to drink of that everlasting water again, we need to allow God's word on a daily basis to purify us and cleanse that filth of this world. Water is known for its natural purifying abilities, both for the external and internal parts of our bodies, right? Water is a natural purifier. If you don't drink water, you're going to die. It's the same thing with God's word. If we don't get in God's word and we don't ingest that and we don't take that into our lives, we are going to die spiritually. We see in this verse how God likens his word to water and its purification abilities, We as believers are to be bathing and drinking in as much of the word of God that we can on a daily basis. It shows us where the dirt is. Isn't that what God's word does? It shows us where the dirt is and what areas of our life need a little more scrubbing than others. We all have those areas. We are to be getting into God's word and allowing God's word to get into us to help purify us. We are to be engrafting into our lives, literally making God's word a part of us. We are to be living it out through faith and obedience to God. Let's look at the next part of that verse in Titus. Chapter 2, verse 14 again. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all iniquity and purify us unto himself a peculiar people. The word peculiar in the King James Version does not mean what we usually think of when we think of the word peculiar, okay? When we think of the word peculiar, we think strange, weird, odd, out of place. And while many of us are those exact things, (laughs) that's not exactly what this verse is talking about, okay? At the time that the King James Version was translated into the English language, the word peculiar did, and still does, by the way, did and still does mean belonging to a person and to him only. Belonging to a person and him only. In other words, this verse is saying that we are gods and gods alone. This means a couple of different things. Turn to John chapter 10, verse 28. Keep your finger there. We're still we're still in that verse. So keep your finger there. John chapter 10 verse 28. John 10:28. And I gave unto them eternal life. And they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. We belong to God and have been made eternally secure in our salvation with no one and nothing able to pluck us out of his hand. Amen? We are a peculiar people. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to be looking at verse 20 through 21. So, the first thing is, the fact that we are peculiar substantiates Christ's claim to us being eternally secure. No man can pluck you out of my hand. That's the first thing. The second thing is, we belong to God and only God, which means that he is to have full rule and control over every area of our life. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20 through 21. Now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight. And here's the key, this next part, through Jesus Christ The only way that we're going to be able to do God's will and be well-pleasing in his sight is if we do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, right? Or else it's just through a power of our flesh and it doesn't benefit us anything. So we have to be willing to do that through the power of his Holy Spirit. But the point is that we belong to Christ. He is to have every area of our life. Our, Our focus should be to do his will, not our own. We're so consumed with our own will every day. You know, sometimes it happens without us even knowing it. We're, t- we're, we're, we're following selfish pursuits. Many times that's the case. We have to stop, really cal- recalibrate our mind, and make sure that, the, that what we are pursuing is his will for our life, and that it's going to bring him pleasure because that's why we are peculiar people, because we belong to God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, For ye were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are gods. A peculiar people. All right, let's look at the last part of that verse, Titus 2.14. Peculiar people, okay? What's that last part of that verse say? Zealous of good works. How is our zeal for Christ? How is our zeal for Christ? Zeal literally means passion. You know, we're willing to invest our time. We're willing to invest our money. We're willing to invest all different parts of our life into those things that we're passionate about, aren't we? Whether it's sports, hobbies, entertainment, whatever it is, we are willing to invest time, money, and effort into those things because we are passionate about them. We are zealous about them. Why is it so often that on our list of everything that we're passionate about, does Christ rank so low? Where does he rank on your list? Are you more passionate about Christ than other things in your life? Or does he, I mean, he should be first. I mean, we know that. He should be first, but where does he actually rank? Are we more zealous about our hobbies, possessions, our jobs, are we more zealous about all these, all these things more than we are about Christ? You know how you can tell whether somebody is zealous about something or not? They get excited to talk about it. That's how you know whether someone is zealous about something. Their eyes light up and they're excited to share with you all the details about that thing that they're really interested in. Everybody wants to talk about the things that they're interested in, which is usually themselves. <laughs> we all like to talk about ourselves. You know, that's one of the best. If you're not good at talking talking to people, you know, they say one of the first things to do is go up and ask them a question about themselves because everybody loves to talk about themselves, right? So we're all interested in ourselves, but we're supposed to be interested in the Lord. Okay. Are we excited? Are we excited about investing our time and our money and our effort into the work of the Lord? Are we just chomping at the bit to share our passion with someone else? Or are we not because it's not our passion? Many times this is not the case because we do not have the zeal, the passion for Christ that we should so we need to get focused it is a very real truth that you know we cannot change the past right if we could change the past we would all be there right now (laughs) we would all be there currently right now trying to make right those things that we screwed up which is every day so we screw up a lot we'd probably constantly be living in the past but we can't live in the past we can only look to the future Philippians three, thirteen through fourteen says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of Jesus. We all have that mark that we are to be pressing towards. I believe that mark for every one of us is holiness. That is the mark that we are to be pressing towards, the mark of holiness. It should be the desire of every believer to hit that mark. As we travel the highway of holiness, there are many markers along the way indicating to us how far we have come and how much farther we have to go. These markers are what we are to set our sights on. It is always to be our goal to reach that next mark. It's fine and it's dandy that when you get to that next stage in your spiritual life that you rejoice about it. Yes, that's great. We should rejoice about getting to that next stage of our spiritual life. But don't stay there. Don't get contented with where you are spiritually. Be going towards that next mark. Because I promise you, no one in this room is holy yet. Okay? But that is to be our ultimate mark. So when we get to a point in our Christian life, you know, a lot of times we're tempted to think, I'm in a good spot. I'm good. And, you know, some of us are in a good spot. And that's great. But... There's always that next marker. We're always to be reaching for that next goal. It's important in our Christian lives to have goals. Don't get complacent. Always be striving to get to that next step. The blessings that God has for you at the next mark are always greater than the blessings that you are receiving at the mark that you're at. These blessings of God for you at that next mark are often things that we can never even imagine were going to come into our lives. And we'll never know what they are until we're willing to take that next step. I press toward the mark, moving forward, toward, that, toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We all have that high calling. And that high calling is to, as we've been talking about Loving the Lord God with all of our hearts, all of our souls, and all of our minds. If we purpose first and foremost to do that, we will be prepared for whatever other calling God has for us. So that is our ultimate calling, is to love the Lord God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. But if we purpose first and foremost to do that, we're going to be ready that when God calls us, we will know it and we will be in a place spiritually to do that calling that God is bringing us to. Does our life, does our service, does our commitment, does our passions, do our desires, do our goals, do our thoughts, do our words, do every part of our life. Reflect our love for God. These lessons in the last two weeks, the purpose of these lessons is to get us focused and see where that next step is and get us moving towards it. That is the goal of these last two weeks, to see where we were, to see where we are, and to see where we need to be, okay? With that in mind, if we are being truthful, we should not be struggling with the same sins that we were struggling with three years, two years, or even one year ago. If we are, we are not allowing God to grow us like we should be. We are always tempted to make all kinds of different excuses and come up with all kinds of different reasons why we are not going, why we are not growing, and why we have not conquered that sin. <sighs> I believe one of the big reasons that we do this, and I know this is true in my own life, and it has been true in the past and it is true even today, but I think one of the big reasons that we excuse our sin in our own life is cuz we just don't see it as a very big deal. It's just, I mean, it's just not that big of a deal. I mean, is it, is it right? Probably not, but it's not that big of a deal. That's what we are all tempted to think about our sin. We are always tempted to make all kinds of excuses and come up with all these different reasons to justify our sin in our mind. Our no-big-deal sins are what nailed Jesus Christ to that cross. Think about that. Those things that you think aren't a big deal, those things that you think, well, oh, I'm under grace. He'll forgive me. It's not that big deal. When I die, I'm still going to heaven, whatever. You know, that sin is what nailed your Savior to the cross. I mean, sure, those no-big-deal sins that we don't consider a very big deal, I mean, yeah, those were bad. Th- th- those are bad enough to send us to hell for eternity. Hmm. Well, Maybe they are a big deal. We do all these little sins, and we think to ourselves, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. It doesn't matter what we think. It doesn't matter whether we see something wrong with it or not, if God's word says it's wrong, it's wrong. There's no such thing as a little sin. It takes one to make us worthy of an eternity in hell. We need to stop justifying those little sins in our life. And I do that. We all do that. We all justify those little sins. Okay? They're not little. They're a big deal. We've got to stop saying, everyone else does it. At least I'm better than that person. At least I'm not doing this. At least I'm not doing that. Well, that doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point is you are to be moving forward in your spiritual life, and these little sins are preventing you from doing that. Who is behind getting us to think this way? The devil. It is Satan. We have all been guilty of doing this. If Satan can get us to excuse our sin in our mind, thinking that the things that we do, the things that we watch, the things that we say, the music that we listen to, the places that we go aren't no big deal. If he can get us to believe that, he can keep us living a defeated Christian life. God's word tells us that we are more than conquerors, but the first step to conquering our problem is admitting that we have one. 2nd Chronicles 7:14, a verse we all know well, lays out this process for us, the process of making things right and conquering our sin. 2nd Chronicles 7:14 says if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, that's admitting that we have a problem. Let's get humble and admit that we have a problem. Humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. First, we have to humble ourselves and admit that we have a problem. Second, we have to seek God's face and pray. Matthew seven seven through eight says, "Ask and it shall be given you; seek and ye shall find; knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. Unto him that knocketh it shall." be opened. If we go to God in prayer, he's not going to give us a stone. He has promised to forgive us. He has promised to help us, but we have to ask. So first, we must admit that we have a problem. Second, we must seek God's face and pray. Third, and most importantly, we have to turn. This is the evidence of true repentance. A lot of us don't have a problem admitting that we're wrong. I mean, we do, but in comparison here, a lot of us are willing to admit that we're wrong. A lot of us are willing to come to the Lord and pray and ask him to forgive us. It's that last one that we struggle with. Turn. Repent. Truly repent and turn. Forsake those things. Forsake those little sins. How many of us are guilty of coming to the altar after we hear a message preached? Our hearts are touched. We're convicted. God has spoken to us. We're feel, we've, we've, we've definitely fallen on the conviction of the Holy Spirit. We come up here to the altar, you know, some of us even with tears in our eyes. And we're weeping before the Lord and we're saying, God, forgive me. I know I have been wrong. We admitted we have a problem, we sought his face, we came up here, we prayed. But then we go out of the doors of this church, we get back into the world, and we act the exact same way. We were willing to admit we had a problem. We were willing to pray and ask him to forgive us, but we weren't willing to turn. If we're not willing to turn, the first two mean nothing. Yes, we have to admit we have a problem first. Yes, we have to ask God to forgive us. But the rubber meets the road when it comes to turning. Are you really serious about getting right with God? Are you really serious about taking that next step in your spiritual life? Or are you just going to be content being where, you're, where, you, where you've been at for who knows how long? Some of us are moving at a slow rate. Some of us aren't moving at all. But we need to be taking that next step. And all these principles today are what, is, are what we are supposed to do to help get us to that next step in our Christian life. So God can use us and bless us and someday when we get to heaven, reward us. Let's pray.